New York-based artist Naya comes from a background where her mother was an accomplished jazz pianist and her grandmother was an opera singer. It's those sensibilities that inform Naya's own pop-jazz fusion. Her current album is I, a collection of songs that delve into the artist's own skepticism around love and healthy relationships, to the point where she even sabotages either. Each song captures her penchant for sultry and sticky melodies, the perfect accompaniment for Naya's super intimate vocal styling. I got a chance to speak with the talented singer during the Chicago leg of her tour. This is my conversation with Naya. Hey everyone, you are listening to Vocalo Radio in Chicago. I'm Jesse Menendez. My in-studio guest is Naya. The album is entitled I. So this is fascinating. A lot of your life situations and how they play into your musical choices and, and songs are apparent from your beginning. You come from a household of family members that fostered musical creativity. Your mother was a pianist and your grandmother was an opera singer. At what age did music start piquing your interest rather than existing primarily in the background? I think coming from a whole family of musicians, it was always around. I just assumed other families kind of, it was the same thing. But I think when I was around 12 or 13, I kind of realized this is all I want to do with my life. You know, it was the only thing I spent time doing. So I think my mom started to nurture it in a different way as opposed to just, this is what we do, we're all musicians. And then we started focusing on trying to audition for conservatories and stuff like that. But you know, I just assumed everybody's family could sing. So it was a really funny transition suddenly when my friends like couldn't. You like, know? no, none of us have talent. Yeah, <laughs> All so, you guys do. So, so was, cool. was it that music that they introduced you to that really got you excited? Because you're speaking 12, 13, the age where you are on your own able to discover your music? I think, you know, my mom, she made us all take piano when we were little because she thought it was important. And then around 13, we could either switch instruments or quit. So I was the only one out of my siblings that stuck with it, and I played the piano. I kept going. Classical music was kind of where I started, and then opera was just way too hard for me. I didn't have the the discipline, because it takes so much discipline to train your voice, so I was really impatient. And then my voice shifted when I was around 13, because I was growing, and my mom gave me a Sarah Vaughan record, and that's when I fell in love with jazz. So I was like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. I keep waiting for the ride. I spoke with Robert Glasper once and he said something because he was talking about some of the feedback that he had gotten from the more traditionalist jazz community that had criticized what he was doing with the genre. And he said, that's great. If you want to create music for your grandmother and grandfather to listen to, continue to do that. But I'm trying to push the envelope and make this universal and more inclusive. Is there part of your education that betrays you when you do start to incorporate other things with jazz? In a a way, it Initially, it felt that way because, you know, to me, jazz 
there's a purity about it. You know, it's like you want to know the theory, you want to know the rules, but at the same time, jazz is all about fusing genres and styles together. So it, in some way it contradicts itself. And, you know, what Robert Glasper is trying to do is similar to where I want to be in what I try to do with my own music, where take references of classical or jazz, but in a contemporary landscape, you know, because I want to make music my friends can listen to, but also, you know, manipulate them in a way like trick them into listening to jazz in some ways you know where it's not straight traditional but this is like a modern day jazz standard versus you know like a throwback yeah. stuff like that so. so after the listening party for this album you were like ha yeah i tricked you all into yeah. listening this is totally. jazz that's actually. an alt chord right there or something yeah <laughs> but as somebody who has trained and has learned some of the theory at what point do you have the permission to say this is contemporary jazz yeah. what i've done here I, I mean, that's a good question. It's hard because, you know, sometimes I wonder what my friends from my conservatory think of my music. And, you know, in some regards, my new record is a pop album, but people call it a jazz, you know, it's jazz influence. And I'm like, this isn't really jazz. It's it's like a smorgasbord of a lot of things. So I think you have to give yourself the permission to decide, you know, and some people do it before they create the music and other people just make music without kind of labeling what they want to do and then they're like well this is okay this is fusion this this is you know r&b alt or this so i think mine was a bit more of like just free like and it all just kind of came out and then we were like oh this is kind of this jazzy pop classical mix keep waiting for the right time still on that side i'm so far Now, I don't usually comment on anyone's appearance, but as I understand, your ponytail isn't just necessarily a fashion choice. It's also something that's helped you cope with confidence issues on stage. Yeah, for sure. When I was younger, I really hated being on stage and performing in front of people. And, you know, if my hair got in my face, I would freak out because, you know, I'm playing the piano. Or So I pulled it back really tight just so I could, you know, have like my whole visual here. And then it just kind of became a thing. Everyone's like, oh, your braid is a thing. And you know, I'm a big fan of Sade, who sometimes wears a braid, so I was like, okay, well, it's like a tribute to her, and also it's really just so I don't get hair in my contacts or something. So. <laughs> which is funny that pulling your hair back would give you more confidence, considering more yeah, of I'm your more, face is exposed. I, which is why the whole concept of, like, you know, visibility is such an interesting thing for me, because I, I wish I could have made, like, a fake stage name, because that would have helped me create a new character and not be myself, but... Music is so like personal, so I had to be Naya, you know. There's, which is just contradicting because I yeah. don't want to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> just wear a I mask. Have my, I, I know I should have just my like hair in my face. Exactly. Now let's get into the album. There are moments where it's just instrumentals, like Prelude, and it happens a little more farther in the in the album as well. What do those moments do for you? I mean, because for a yeah. listener, especially with such compelling lyricism on the album front to back. Um, I'm waiting to hear what you have to say next. And then I get these moments of just music. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, I grew up listening to instrumental music first. You know, my mom was a piano teacher. So I would sit under the piano and listen to her lessons. So, and I love uh, movies, you know, and soundtracks and scores. And, you know, I think you could do so much with just listening instead of listening to the lyrics. And I think that's dying in a way with contemporary audiences and you know when you see movies you see you hear it and you but you see a visual so sometimes I think it's good to challenge your listeners to just hear 
music and not put a visual with it. And my goal eventually will be to make videos for my instrumental tracks, but just blow everybody's mind. Yeah, you know, labels are like, no, oh, let's let's go with the more the song let's, that let's, has a better hashtag. Tell them what the song is yeah. about. That's not. That's but not I have there. like you know five other interludes that didn't make the album. But to me, it's it's so much fun to make instrumental music. So after Prelude, we get Hurt You First, which is an incredible album because I don't think I've ever heard anyone just express this sentiment in such a very direct way. But there's also still some some questioning involved with how you yourself have come to this conclusion. Yeah. You talk about, you're too good to me. Yeah. I'm going to hurt you first. And again, this is in no, yeah, no particular no. order. I'll be the one who makes you cry. I'll be the one who gets to decide. And I'm wondering if this person treats you so well, what makes this person have to be the the uh, beneficiary of you hurting them first for no good reason? Although yeah. you do go on to say this is perfectly orchestrated by this person. I think it's just fear. You know, I think sometimes it's too good to be true. That kind of motto is, is very much me. I'm a superstitious Italian. You know, we, we're very... You know, what do you mean? This is too easy. Something must be off. And, you know, in relationships, I've had a few. um, And the one that I'm, you know, kind of focused around in this album, it was the first time I fell in love and everything felt good. But then it was like, this is really hard because I'm in love with someone and things mean different things suddenly. And I'm afraid to get hurt. I'd rather hurt him first. You know, he's doing everything's going well, which is funny. The response I'm getting is like, I feel the same exact way. I'm like, oh, God, like so, almost the need to sabotage the relationship. 100%, yeah, because then you have control, you know, and it's, it's this fear of waiting for something bad to happen, which my mom's like, you shouldn't write about this. Like, <laughs> but You're too good to me. Fill me up when my glass looks empty. You always try to say a better version. narrative is fully realized with the song you're talking about how this person is too good to be true so you're going to be the first one to inflict the pain that you're probably scared of getting later so what keeps you in that mode of wanting to do it if you know that this reaction maybe ain't the most rational crazy i guess (laughs) i think because i'm crazy i doubt that's true (laughs) but you know on some level that that's not fair to the person or to yourself well that's what you know and the whole thing was i fell in love and wrote an album about falling in love but it's really about how hard it is to be in love, how miserable it feels, you know, and like, uh, which is crazy because I've never experienced the negative side of being in love, which is probably because I've never really been in love, you know, and it's hard to be in love. Do I give up too easy? Or do I hold on too long? Still I can't help feeling wrong I can't 
Constantly Dissatisfied to me is one of the more groovier songs on this album. I love just the smooth, soothing, slow-chugging groove on it. Tell me about how that instrumentation came around and how it is you decided to frame that with the narrative that you give us about questioning whether it's you or him. Yeah, that one's definitely one of my favorites because, you know, I grew up, like we were talking about jazz, but also then when I started to explore other genres, you know, Hall & Oates, Carole King, Sting, you know, Peter Gabriel, so that kind of groove, but all more about based around songwriting in the lyrics and kind of explaining it. That's kind of where that one happened, and I remember... There was a conversation like, I don't know about this one for the album. It's like, it reminds me of like a Hall & Oates, Carole King song. And I was like, cool, I can quit now if I wrote something that (laughs) reminds you of that. But I feel constantly dissatisfied. And I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people feel these days, which isn't fair. And we don't deserve, I don't know, like everyone's so grateful and we're lucky. You know, and my first EP was called Generation Blue, which was all about, you know, feeling sad for no reason. You know, I think it's a little bit of this like champagne problems things that people talk about and constantly dissatisfied is the same thing like about a relationship where, you know, I know it's not your fault, but I'm just still always miserable. I don't know why. It's me. Have you had a chance to have (laughs) these conversations with the other person involved in the relationship? Yes. Yes. Too many times. And 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 he'll be like, you're just constantly dissatisfied. There's nothing I can do about it. What do you make of that did I give up too easy or did I hold on too long? I know you're not the reason, but I can't help but feel wronged. Those are two very contradictory um, sentiments. Totally. And I think it's just, honestly, you know, this album is so true to my character. I'm very one way and then the other. Like, I'll change my mind. I'm very neurotic. You know, I'll, like, defend myself, but then I'll attack. You know, I'm very... um, a little Woody Allen, a, little, a lot of anxiety it going on. It sounds like you're a, a, a full human being. <laughs> yeah, which is cool because, you know, I'm not used to being so transparent with lyrics and growing up singing standards. I was just kind of the portal singing other people's lyrics. So lyrics have been something that's been hard to just, you know, really dive in and be personal. But falling in love and having these frustrations, I literally couldn't help but, like, write this stuff. So it's funny that... I couldn't help but be completely transparent. Well, congratulations Thank on the success. You. It's Thank a great you. album, Naya. Thank, Thank you very much for making time. Thank you. Keep calling you out.